From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Busy show tonight, so let's get to it. On our panel, uh, the North Korean nuclear threat is uh, front and center. Joseph Farah, publisher, editor of WND.com, and Joel Skousen, publisher, editor of World Affairs Brief are standing by to discuss how best to deal with the rogue Stalinist state that is threatening its neighbors, Guam, the United States, with nuclear annihilation. Did Trump, President Trump, go too far in intimating that he turn? Well, he didn't actually, actually intimate, did he? I mean, he just came plain out said it. Uh, if you mess with the United States, we will turn your hermit little prison camp of a country into a glass bowl. Uh, we'll uh, continue discussing uh, North Korea uh, a little bit later. We'll learn about Korea's version of Edgar Cayce, Gang Il's son, uh, who made some startling predictions about Korea and uh, the world that seem to be playing out almost precisely according to Gang Il's son's visions. George Freund from Conspiracy Cafe will be here to discuss. Then, for the first time in American history, an, a company out of Wisconsin is voluntarily letting their employees take a microchip implant, it's about the size of a grain of rice, uh, in their hands, in the skin, between their thumb and forefinger. Sound familiar? Uh, and it'll act as a credit card. Uh, Bible scholar, documentary filmmaker Ali Siadatan will be here to discuss whether the microchip implant is, in fact, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, the mark of the beast mentioned in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16 and 17. All that coming up very soon, plus our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box, where you, dear remote viewer, attempts uh, or attempt to transcend time and space and identify what lies hidden inside the, the cigar box, which is uh, resting on the desk here at uh, Zoomerplex uh, to my left. And uh, don't forget, send your answers to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCSRemote. And uh, we'll also have mailbag coming up. Also in the first hour, for the we'll uh, discuss... Uh, well, no, I think that pretty well covers the first hour. Isn't that enough? My word. Second hour, we've got open lines, of course. Then, Rabbi Harry Moskoff will join us, the real-life Indiana Jones, in search of treasures from King Solomon's Temple, including the Ark of the Covenant. Can't wait for that conversation. Uh, before we lift off, let me acknowledge the trio here who join me in studio each week, without whom this show would not be possible. The boys in the band, I like to call them, on the Flying V Gibson guitar, Ian Robertson. And uh, Ian, I'm hearing from a lot of people who who say that uh, you should be awarded some Conspiracy Show merch for last week's What's in the Box segment. It was a ball-peen hammer, uh, if you missed it, and uh, Ian said a stick. I I, I said a piece of wood. A piece of wood? Okay, all right. (laughs) Well, we'll, you know what, I'm, I'm still considering it. Now, if it had been a miniaturized you know, version of Noah's Ark in the box or a, I don't know, a um, a rolling pin, a wooden rolling pin, would you still be grousing and demanding a mug? Rolling pin, maybe. All right. Uh, on the Rick and bass guitar and occasionally the theremin story producer Albert Venzel is here. And finally on the Hammond B3, my feature producer Ryan White. Gentlemen, thank you. All right, time is tight. Here are your coordinates, remote viewers. The object is hidden in a cigar box resting on the studio desk to my left. Here at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue, in the Liberty Village neighborhood, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Now, allow the shape, form, texture, and color of the object to form in your mind. And again, send your answers to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. You must use the hashtag TCSRemote. The most skilled remote viewer will be rewarded with some fabulous Conspiracy Show merch. And if you're a fan of the show, why not show it off? Visit the online store at theconspiracyshow.com, buy a mug, t-shirt, hoodie, phone case, and help support our work here at The Conspiracy Show. At the same time, good luck, remote viewers. The big reveal coming up at the bottom of the hour. All right, North Korea's evil and unstable despot Kim Jong-un recently warned he was carefully examining plans to make an enveloping fire around the U.S. island of Guam. This came hours after President Trump had told the Stalinist hermit state it faces fire and fury like the world has never seen over its nuclear program. Did President Trump, his threat, go too far? 
or not far enough, perhaps? How best to handle the reality of a nuclear North Korea? Here to discuss is Joseph Farah, who fought the establishment media from the inside out, first by excelling from within, by climbing the ranks of his profession to run major market Metro Dailies, and secondly, by launching the first independent online news agency, World Net Daily, some 20 years ago. Today, WND.com is a top 200 website in the United States. Joe Safara, welcome. How are you, my friend? Great to be with you, Richard. Thank you. Joel Skousen is the publisher of the World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service. He's a political scientist by training, specializing in helping readers understand the hidden agenda of those that secretly control both political parties and the U.S. government. Joel Skousen, welcome to you, sir. Thank you, Richard. It's always good to be with you. I want to throw this one out to you first, Joseph. Uh, for years, really, since President Clinton back in 1994, and through the Bush years, and even uh, as recently as 2016, before President Obama left office, it seems to me that the U.S. policy on a nuclear North Korea was to pretend it didn't exist and then to re- reward North Korea for its lying and obfuscation with door prizes and 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 uh, goodies, uh, aid of all sorts. Uh, and now the, uh, the left and the Democrats seem to be blaming Trump for the fact that we now are living with the reality of a nuclear North Korea. How, is, Tr- right. how is Trump being blamed for this mess? Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, what, what we did, we had a series of presidents that trained him uh, over the last couple of decades uh, to threaten to develop nuclear weapons because uh, he he learned that uh, it was a good way to make a living for himself and and uh, his pathetic country. Uh, if you don't nuke us, uh, you know we'll remove sanctions, we'll give you respect, we'll negotiate with you, and even pay you to say that you will not nuke uh, the U.S. And to make matters worse, over the last eight years, Kim saw the the uh, former president Obama pay a huge bribe to Iran, not to stop nuclear development at all, but to slow it down, kick the can down the road, maybe 10 years, despite the fact that Iran continues to develop nuclear weapons today. And, and there's another facet here that I haven't heard anyone else you know, posit this theory. But isn't it likely, Richard, that Kim assumed, like so many other people around the world did, that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected president in 2016. And then, I can only imagine, he was planning to be, you know, the next, he was going to planning to get his next big payday for not nuking the U.S., because uh, she would have negotiated just like her husband did uh, to do so. He didn't see Trump coming. No. Uh, but based on the past behavior of U.S. presidents, he's, he's dealt with, he assumed, there probably wouldn't be much difference anyway. Well, he assumed wrong. Jo- Joel yeah. Skousen, uh, the, the North Koreans now, they have miniaturized the, uh, the, the nukes. That's a, a further step. They have te- successfully tested their intercontinental ballistic missiles. Now they are ramping up their secondary strike capabilities on, on submarines, and, and um, so that we have that to deal with. Is it now too late for sanctions, even tough, tough sanctions? Absolutely too late, because China has been the one who has been bypassing sanctions, and they will still do so. For example, there was a Reuters article today that pointed out that China is mostly hiring North Korean factories to produce Chinese textiles, shoes, and other things for export to the United States, and they're labeled made in China. So there's no way that China is going to really back up. Uh, North Korea is the puppet state of China, and China really wants to have the appearance of a crazy man in charge of this rogue state. But it would appear, Joel, that that China has also lost control of Kim Jong-un, and and now they've basically said to the United States, listen, if this crazy person goes off, we're stepping back, you deal with them. Isn't that a victory for the U.S. and, and Trump's rhetoric? Well, actually... Uh, China has said only if uh, Kim Jong-un attacks the United States will we stay neutral. If you attack North Korea, China says it will come in and back North Korea militarily. 
All right. What do we mean? But but the term, the idea of first strike and so forth. Uh, uh, I mean that that has. There's a lot of latitude in there, isn't there, Joseph? For example, if they were to fire off another inter uh, another ICBM in the direction of Guam, even as a test, couldn't that be interpreted as a you know as a as a as a direct threat to the United States, a first strike, if you will? Well, well, sure. He's he's already made the threat. You know, if he follows up, it's. It's an action, even if he misses, you know. I mean, but, uh, you know, look, Trump is in a very precarious position, though. I mean, you know, what what do you do? Joel's exactly right in terms of what the scenario is. You know, China is not uh, on our side here. China is saying we'll remain neutral uh, if, you know, as long as you don't uh, nuke uh, the United States or if, if you if you do attack the United States, we'll be neutral. Okay, they're not going to do anything about it. They're going to be neutral either either way. The only way they're not going to be neutral is if we take an action, and it's not a nuclear action, uh, as I understand it. It's any kind of action. So, if we have some kind of a plan to take, you know, Kim out, or to disrupt their nuclear facilities, you know, with some kind of uh, Big bombing attack, then uh, then China is going to back uh, North Korea, as I understand. It. Joel, what about giving China a dose of their own medicine? Let's put nukes, or the United States proposed to put nukes in South Korea and perhaps uh, in Japan. We we used to have tactical nukes in South Korea. They were pulled out under the Obama administration, and I believe the Trump administration is going to put tactical nukes back in. Now, that doesn't mean that they'll use tactical nukes or even nuclear missiles to um, to do a preemptive strike. But clearly, North Korea is the only nation on Earth that has directly threatened existentially the United States. So the United States does have every justification to do a preemptive strike on North Korea. Now, I do happen to believe that if you throw four missiles at Guam saying that we're going to miss Guam by 20 miles. There's no U.S. military base in the world that can count on North Korea with its reputation of inaccuracy to miss the island. So if they throw those missiles, and I think that's only about a 50% chance that it'll go through with that threat, I think, first of all, the United States will shoot those missiles down using the THAAD system that is in Guam or the Aegis system on various naval vessels at uh, naval base uh, Guam, but I think Trump will have every rightful reason to retaliate, only he's going to have to do it attacking both the missile sites. He doesn't have to attack the nuclear facilities right away because that's not an immediate threat, but he's got to attack the missile launch sites, got to attack about 11 to 15 air bases, and he's got to take out a good portion of the artillery sites that threaten Seoul. All right, we are out of time. Joseph Farah from WND.com, thank you as always. Appreciate it. You bet. Joel Skousen, WorldAffairsBrief.com. Very quickly, Joel, how can people subscribe? They can uh, email me at editor at WorldAffairsBrief and request a free sample issue. The current issue is about North Korea, and I'll send that to them. It tells them how to descri- how to subscribe. Thank you both. All right, the prophecies of Korea's Edgar Casey next. Wait till you hear this. The Conspiracy Show continues. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Oh, welcome back. Our remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box, is just ahead. Don't forget, send your answers to... Me at my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCS Remote, TCS Remote, plus our mailbag and uh, much more. Uh, A company in Wisconsin is asking its 50 employees to voluntarily take a microchip implant. Uh, Is this the mark of the beast foretold in Revelation chapter 13? We'll talk to Ali C. Adetan about that as well. Uh, Right now, uh, let's uh, talk about Korea once again. Gang Il Sun. Uh, was born back in 1875 in what or 1871 in what is now North Korea. He founded a new religious movement, which after his death in 1909 branched off to over 100 new religions on the Korean Peninsula. 
but he was also considered a prophet, the Korean Edgar Cayce, if you will. During his life, he warned the world would be uh, suffering great calamities. They include a pole shift, a world war originating on the Korean Peninsula. He said it would last three days, and Seoul, or Seoul, would be consumed by fire. A great pestilence would follow, lasting 68 days. American forces would flee the peninsula, taking the disease throughout the globe. Kim Jong-un claims he has a hydrogen bomb. Is he bluffing? Will the prophecy unfold? Here to discuss is researcher, independent researcher, George Freund, host of the wildly popular podcast, Conspiracy Cafe. George, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? It's a very, very trying point of history, I think. So tell me a little bit more about Gang Il's son. I mean, I know he started this religious movement, but did he write these? How did you come to, to hear about his prophecies? Well, my uh, colleague in uh, communications was a teacher in Korea, and uh, he's also a professor, and he's very familiar with Korean culture, and Korea's been on the hot plate for many, many years with the development of these weapons and the lackadaisical response from American administrations going way back. And, uh, you know, he would always advise me on the side about some of the philosophical things that were going on in Korea. And we always think about uh, our world as being, you know, Eurocentric or, uh, you know, things that just happen in North America. And we forget that other nations, other areas have their cultures, their ideas, and uh, great sayings that we're completely unaware of. And it appears uh, Gang Il-sun was a very intelligent man. Uh, you know, he also put out some very positive vibrations. He was into this enlightenment movement where, you know, you pretty much give up uh, any form of violence or anything like that, which is a good incentive uh, to the rest of the world to follow, especially as the pot keeps getting hotter and hotter here in the Korean Peninsula. Right, but let's talk specifically now about his as prophecies. Did he write these down? Was he like was he prolific like like Nostradamus, for example, or Edgar Casey, or or was this kind of a sidebar to his his life as a as a religious philosopher? This was more the sidebar as he was going through various processes uh, to attain this enlightenment. He felt that he had greater vision and ideas about what was going to happen in the world. And uh, he communicated those to his fellows uh, that uh, followed in uh, his you know, cult, for lack of a better word. And uh, you know, he saw things that to them would probably seem very, very bizarre that you could have uh, you know, a city destroyed. Pusan was another city that uh, he said would disappear by fire as well. Uh, that was the great jumping-off point to get uh, in the first Korean War, where all the Americans and Na- uh, United Nations forces had to accumulate before the Incheon landings. Uh, so that might be another very strategic point again in history, that uh, forces could be driven south. Uh, he implies that they're escaping the peninsula, and uh, that is a major port area, so it wouldn't be inconceivable that that happens. I think what's what's particularly interesting about one of his prophecies, and that has to do with war originating on the Korean Peninsula, uh, very specific. He says it would last three days. Now, the the the, the war that, that that took place on the Korean Peninsula lasted three years, not three days. That was conventional uh, conventional weapons. Um, so to talk about a war lasting three days, remember. This was early 20th century, late 19th century. He's making these predictions. I mean, what kind of a war would last three days? One would have to assume something involving a nuclear arsenal. Oh, exactly. Once we let the cat out of the bag, if there was ever any type of conflict that involved a mega weapon like that, uh, the horror of a discharge of that sort of weapon, no matter how much rhetoric comes from whatever side, uh, would, I think, just overwhelm uh, anyone. The Chinese uh, premier has been making some you know, remarks that uh, are probably more serious than Trump, uh, that they will protect Korea if the United States attacks first, and uh, that the United States could be destroyed. But that's all this bravado um, stuff that uh, I don't think a lot of people have any concept. Like I know uh, Mr. Teller, when he developed the hydrogen bomb at one of the tests, he just said, all world leaders should have to be here to feel the heat, to know what this means. And uh, because they don't or, or don't really believe or understand what that means, 
they may be stupid enough to attempt or or to uh, to start something, but I think after one or two uh, examples, I don't think anyone would want to go any further. George Freund is here, host of the uh, podcast Conspiracy Cafe, and uh, you can find it just um, uh, Google Conspiracy Cafe or conspiracy-cafe.com. Conspiracy-cafe, C-A-F-E. Uh, dot com. We're talking about Korean, <clears throat> Korea's Edgar Casey, Gang Il's son, although born in 1871, died in 1909, made some startling prophecies or predictions. One of them involves a, a war originating on the Korean peninsula that would last three days. Here's the other, it would, it cons, uh, it would consume Seoul, a Seoul would be consumed by fire. Uh, here's the other interesting uh, detail. American forces. Now think about this. The United States... I'm not sure exactly when he made this prophecy, uh, but uh, America was certainly, you know, e- evolving as an industrial superpower in the late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, but certainly wasn't geopolitically uh, considered, you know, um, an empire. Do you find that as startling as I do that that he would in, that he would mention American forces on the Korean Peninsula at this early date? Well, they were one of the major powers uh, in the world. The, you know, the Russians and the Chinese are neighbors. The Japanese are uh, not that far away. Uh, Japan uh, basically forced Korea into being a vassal state in 1910 and uh, had been influencing uh, politics there. In the 1890s, there's the first uh, Sino-Japanese War, and that was based on the fact that uh, when there was a rebellion in Korea, of this, uh, you know, movement that uh, Gang Il-san was affiliated with, the Donghaks, they led a peasant revolt. The uh, leadership of uh, Korea called in the Chinese for military assistance, and the Japanese were very offended by that, and that precipitated the First Sino-Japanese War, and it didn't go too well uh, for the Chinese, and the Koreans pretty much took over and became the de facto government and military of Korea and kept it that way until uh, the conclusion of World War II when uh, they were forced to surrender. Right, but the idea of American boots on the ground in faraway Korea, predicting that in the late uh, 19th century, uh, seems a bit of a stretch. Well, when you have, uh, you know, the value of the prophet is the quality of the prophecy. So to see and know and understand uh, who's involved, what countries uh, are going to be involved, the five major powers. Another uh, modification from my colleague is uh, the fact that the Chinese chess game is called Badok. And, uh, you know, he sees the board as being like the Korean Peninsula, where the middle of the board has a dividing line, and that's like the demilitarized zone. And uh, this game, like the grand chessboard that we use in our analogies for many of the conflicts on the planet Earth involve, again, the five great powers playing this game. I sent you an image of some people, like in a painting, that uh, are playing the game. If you have that available, you could show it to people. And uh, it it, uh, is also described almost like a sumo match, where there were three versions to this. The first version, of course, was the peasant rebellion. To get rid of a corrupt administration, that's kind of under control of the Western powers or the Western business interests, and that was like the preliminary sumu event. And the next level was the Korean War, where the uh, amateurs get down and fight. And the third version would be the professional match, where we have uh, what can be akin to World War III. And uh, that will be, you know, a very, very devastating and powerful uh, event. How... how um popular is Gang Il's son and his prophecies in on the Korean Peninsula today? For example, um, are, do South Koreans learn about Gang Il's son uh, in school? Is, is the dictator in North Korea uh, familiar with Gang Il's son? Does he, does he somehow believe that he is going to, you know, he's there to fulfill Gang Il's son's prophecy? That may very well be the case uh, with uh, Kim that he he believes that's his divine mission. Uh, The the family history is his father was born in a mountain, allegedly, or they could make some of this material up in World War II. Uh, It was called Heaven Lake. And uh, when he died, the mountain cracked. It was a large, audible crack that was heard all the way down the mountain. It is a caldera, this lake. 
and it's on, on top of an active volcano. Half of the uh, mountain goes into China, and there's extensive tunnels going back and forth. So it may be a major military nexus to go back and forth uh, for forces that China can get into North Korea covertly uh, through these tunnel systems and would also make this mountain a target. And if it exploded or blew up, well, of course, with a volcano underneath, that could also uh, cause a lot of fire and difficulty, fire and fury, if, uh, if that happened. I don't know if this religion is as popular as it was after Gang Il-sung died. It manifested up to about 6 million adherents. But, of course, like many things, when you lose a leader, it fractures, and his uh, group ultimately fractured into you know, the worst-case scenario of about maybe 100 different factions. And they would fight or have disagreements about what's interpreted and how. But uh, there's still an active nucleus of uh, several versions of, uh, of his religion, which involved all the Oriental religions and Christianity mixed together. He believed that uh, there would be a Messiah-like figure coming on the scene in the world as well, so that jives a little bit with uh, some Western ideas of what would happen if there was a major global conflict. Right. George Freund is with us, host of Conspiracy Cafe. We're talking about Koreans Edgar Casey, Gang Il-sun, whose prophecy includes uh, a war originating on the Korean Peninsula that would last three days. Seoul will be consumed by fire. A great pestilence will follow, lasting 68 days. And then American forces, he said, will flee the peninsula, taking the disease throughout the globe. How do you see this this ending, George? Is this an intractable situation? Are we now having to come to grips with the reality? Do we have to live with the reality of a nuclear North Korea? It would be nice to, to be able to live with uh, North Korea as, as, as a you know, community of nations. There's many diametrically opposed systems in the world post-World War II that had nuclear weapons, specifically the USSR and the United States. With a major difference, though. There was some stability and some rational people on the yeah. other side. Here we have someone... I don't think the idea of mutual assured destruction necessarily works. No, because he may go on the aggressive uh, war path, for lack of a better word, or push it to the limits, because he feels that's his divine mission and there's no negotiation with them to have peaceful coexistence uh, by mad or just by sane and rational procedures. And uh, that's what makes this a wild card, because the president is put in a position where he's damned if he does, and he's damned if he doesn't. Because if he does it now, and he attacks North Korea, and the Chinese decide to adhere to their treaty to defend them, then that opens up a very large broad war, which can make Gang Il-sung's prophecies come through very, very quickly and very, very powerfully. And if you do nothing, well, it's just like the volcano. It'll build and build and build and build until he feels maybe he's strong enough to do a first strike to cause serious casualties or damage to the Western world. Of course, the worst being South Korea and then maybe next Japan. And uh, will he take that initiative and go that far at some point in time? He is a young man. He, you know, if he lives like some dictators into a ripe old age, we could be looking at uh, you know two generations perhaps of uh, of him holding us ransom. How far will this technology that he's working on develop? And uh, if he's going to go on the offensive, well, it's probably better to get him while he's still building it up as opposed to after it's completed. So no matter which decision we make, perhaps, Gang Il-sung's prophecies will come true. The only clue I see in his work is the fact he was committed to nonviolence. So even though he was arrested by the Japanese and put in prison for a short period of time before his death, he still didn't uh, force his people or con- condone violence against the Japanese or anyone else. He just tried to live in... Uh, a, a religious, pious life of peaceful coexistence. And maybe that's the clue that uh, we shouldn't attack first. George, how can people listen to your podcast, Conspiracy Cafe? Well, my website uh, hosts all that. Cons- you said it there, conspiracy-cafe.com. And, uh, you know, for wherever else it ends up or things end up, uh, you know, you just Google my name or that, and it comes up all over the place. I did review a very good movie that I would recommend for everyone with uh, Rock Hudson called Battle Hymn, and it's about Operation Kitty Car, 
where they took out hundreds of uh, Korean orphans out of a conflict zone and got them to safety. And it's uh, it's a real motivational film about even in the direst circumstances, sometimes good things can happen. It's a true story. It's based on a true story about a Colonel Hess in the United States Air Force. And uh, after watching that, it uh, really made me feel good about the fact that there there is uh, humanity in the world. Indeed. Well, listen, George, thank you for bringing to our attention the prophecies of Gang Il's son. Most thank of us, you. including myself, had never heard of him, but now we know. Thanks to you. George Freund, Conspiracy Cafe. All right. When we come back, our uh, big reveal. What's in the box? Our re- remote viewing experiment? Good luck, remote viewers, plus mailbag and uh, a few programming notes. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Coming up, Ali Siadatan, biblical scholar, uh, will talk about this company in uh, Wisconsin that has asked its 50 employees to voluntarily take a microchip uh, in the hand, in that fleshy bit between the under the skin, between the thumb and the, uh, the forefinger, uh, and this would act essentially as a method of payment. It sounds eerily familiar to a passage in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, the mark of the beast. You won't be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. So, is this a fulfillment of biblical prophecy? We will discuss. And maybe we'll also, uh, in this segment, we'll throw it around the horn and see if you would take the chip. All right. First of all, it is time for our weekly remote viewing experiment results. What's in the box? And uh, let's go around the horn for that. Ian, what's in the box? Uh, I'm seeing something small and rectangular. Small and rectangular. Yeah. Can you be a little more specific? Do you see uh, a colorish uh, uh, texture? Blue and soft. Blue Maybe like and a sponge? Interesting. Yeah. A triangular blue sponge. Not triangle. Uh, uh, rectangle. Rectangle. Yeah, a rectangular. All right. Okay. And uh, Albert Vinzel. Yeah, you're, you're creeping me out again with the microchip. I, I don't get frightened easily. It's like Dave Polity's like missing 411. Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, be beheaded if you don't take the microchip. And you, so you I've thrown of, you off. You, you, you put that out as a caveat saying you're off out. your game. You're off your game. All right. When I'm creeped out, I can just give you AOL guesses, and I, I sort of guess like... What's a, AOL guesses again? Uh, analytic overlay. Anything named is a guess. You're oh. really just supposed to describe it. That's right. But but I, I would guess, you know, sort of a pine cone, a, you know, an oak leaf, an acorn, a walnut, uh, maybe an old shoe. Oh, I, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I've been described as an old shoe. Uh, and finally, over to you, Ryan White. What's in the box? Uh, I think you've got your solar eclipse glasses now for the next week's solar eclipse, and you've put a pair in the box there. Solar eclipse glasses. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You have to wear them, otherwise you're going to have eye damage. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's go to the Twitter feed. What did uh, our remote viewers out there have to say? Plenty of good sights tonight. Conan thinks it's a small pair of scissors. Open your eye. Uh, a dark object made of a solid material. Uh, Mike sees a peace sign. Uh, Daniel sees a video game controller. Drew sees a long and green object, maybe a pickle or cucumber. Russell, something with apples. John, a cookie or brownie. Clinton sees a t-shirt. YY sees something with many appendages or branches, like a set of keys or an octopus or a tree. Mm. Uh, James, a bit of clay. Brent, a clamshell. And Paul sees a tool, maybe a one-handed tool with a, a rubber grip. Interesting, interesting. Well, I have to say here, last week with uh, Ian um, seeing something wooden, a wooden stick, uh, and it was a ball-peen hammer with a wooden handle. Not bad, not bad. I'm still on the fence as to whether it warrants a mug. However, I think, you know, I'm your secret Santa uh, this year, uh, Ian, in the okay. annual conspiracy show Christmas party, so I'm guessing you'll probably find a mug under the tree. Ooh. However, our one of our staff members, Ryan White, has come pretty close, I have to say. Not exactly solar eclipse glasses. They are swimming goggles. Ooh. How about that? Swimming goggles. Ryan, this is your first time, I think, like, coming pretty pretty close sure yeah I, well mean, I don't i don't think it's close enough to be honest well i gotta tell you goggles swimming goggles 
eclipse glasses. They are they are uh, they're dark. Uh, they have dark lenses. I don't know. What do you think, Ian? No, you're just jaded and bitter now because you're not getting it. So you, if, <laughs> if I don't get one, mug, he's I get not. A mug, man. That's what I, I think. We should get mugs. Albert, I, I agree. Well, well, it's pretty close. It's glassy, and he said glassy. It is. <laughs> it's, they're goggles. All right. Okay. Ryan, you're getting a mug, and um, Ian, you're getting a mug, and people out there are saying, "Wait a minute, they they're disqualified. They're staff members." Well, I will be the. I am the decider. I am the decider, as George Bush used to say. So uh, they'll both get a mug. Okay. They're going to get one anyway. Albert will get a mug. Well, all, all mugs for all my friends. All right. Uh, congratulations, uh, Ryan, and uh, to all of you for trying at home. I appreciate it. Again, visit the uh, online merch store, theconspiracyshow.com, and show your support for the for the uh, the program. Help us out. Show off that you're a fan. A mug, a T-shirt, hoodies, phone cases, you name it. All right. Now, uh, in lieu of our uh, mailbag uh, this week, Albert, I wanted to, um, to mention on our Conspiracy Show app, you've posted an interesting poll question in anticipation of our next guest, Ali Siadatan, talking about the microchip implant. What is it? Uh, will you volunteer to be microchipped? And I think our audience are right on, you know, on the same side we are on. 90% say no, 10% say yes, they would be microchipped. But I, I'm I'm a big believer in the Bible when they're saying, you know, the mark of the beast, it's a cryptic verse, but, you know, if you take the mark of the beast, that's it, it's over, you're, you're going to hell, there's no <laughs> seal of God, you don't get saved. Right. So I, I'm, not, I'm not taking any chances, I'd rather be beheaded. So again, if people want to participate in the poll, they go, hopefully they've downloaded the free app, The Conspiracy Show, and how do they get to the poll? Uh, you've got to like go for into it, but you know. Uh, On the click. menu, there's if you go into the the app menu, there's a poll daily. Right, we post poll polls, question. and then you can answer, um, you know, yes or no. It's usually a yes or no question. All right, not. let me go around the horn again. Ian Robertson, would you take the mark of the beast, or would you just even if you don't, if you're not sure it's a mic, would you take a microchip implant? Uh, probably not. I don't like the idea of like technology being part of me. Forced upon you? Yeah, yeah, because right. I, I don't know. I like the idea of a human body being a human body. What if they were to say this is the only way you can buy your cell? How much money would they give me? No, nothing. <laughs> but if you, don't take the, if you don't take the chip, you won't be able to buy anything. You won't be able to sell anything. Yeah, it's hard to say, though, because it depends, like, how much freedom they would take away from you with that. Because, I mean, like, we all have cell phones on us. Who knows how much freedom we're losing with that? Right. Okay, fair enough. And uh, finally, Ryan, would you take the chip? No, uh, uh, certainly not. I'm actually surprised how similar this Bible verse is. Before the show, we were talking, and, and I didn't know that the mark of the beast was anything close to this. On your right hand or your forehead, mm-hmm. according to Revelation. I'm surprised reading the Bible verse, just how closely it describes this. Uh, but no, I mean, I still pay cash for a lot of things, and people look at me like, what's this paper you're giving me? Exactly. So, yes. uh, none, I've seen cashiers not. just pass out in fear. At the sign of a $20 bill. They just, what is that? Uh, well, Ryan, you, or um, Albert rather, pointed this out to me. There's a piece in the USA Today uh, that came out just a few days ago, and it's headlined, You Will Get Chipped Eventually. You'll get chipped, it's just a matter of time. In the aftermath of a Wisconsin firm embedding microchips in employees last week to ditch company badges and corporate log- logons, the Internet has entered into a full-throated debate. Religious activists are so appalled they've been penning nasty one-star reviews of the company. It's called Three Square Market on Google, Glassdoor, and social media. On the flip side, seemingly everyone else wants to know, is this what life is going to be like soon at work? Will I be chipped? It will happen to everybody, says Noel Chesley, 49, associate professor of sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. But not this year and not in 2018, maybe not my generation, but certainly that of my kids. Gene Munster, an investor and analyst at Loop Ventures, is an advocate for augmented reality, virtual reality, and other new technologies. He thinks embedded chips in human bodies is 50 years away. In 10 years, Facebook, Google, Apple, and Tesla will not have their employees chipped, he says. You'll see some extreme forward-looking tech people adopting it, but not large companies. All right, Ali Siadatan will pick up on this discussion when we come back. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. 
and it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Coming up at the uh, top of the hour, or just after the top of the hour, open lines. And uh, Ian tells me a number of you have called in wanting to weigh in on the North Korea. Uh, so we can certainly address that. Some of you may want to address this ugly, tragic uh, rioting down in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, we can go there as well, if need be. Uh, as you know, uh, open lines is just about anything goes. Um, in keeping with the the format of this program, we talk about conspiracies, we talk about geopolitics, we talk about uh, the paranormal. So it's up to you to decide where you want to take the next half hour. And of course, at the bottom of the next hour, we will be joined by Harry Moskov, Rabbi Harry Moskov, and um, this is his new book called The Ark Report. He's getting very close to uncovering some treasures from King Solomon's temple and. Uh, he also believes, with a great deal of certitude, uh, that he knows the location of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, we'll get to uh, that all is uh, upcoming. Uh, there's a... Hey, folks, welcome to the future. Uh, a Wisconsin tech company is offering its employees microchip implants uh, that can be used to scan into the building and uh, purchase food at work. Whether or not uh, to get a chip, of course, is up to the employees to decide. It's called Three Square Market, and uh, the company provides technology for break room or micro markets. They have over 50 employees, and they plan to have the devices implanted. They're going to have a microchip party, apparently, and the, uh, the tiny chip uses RFID technology or radio frequency identification. It can be implanted between the thumb and forefinger within seconds, according to a statement from the company. Here to discuss is Ali Siadatan, who has a master's degree in French language and literature from the University of Toronto. He was born in Iran after the Islamic Revolution of 1979 and was thrusted into a spiritual search which led him to Jesus Christ and to faith in the gospel. After building a successful urban outreach ministry and a business, getting married and having two children, Ali is now working on his second documentary titled Goliath Rising and working on a fiction, a piece of fiction titled The School of Mysteries. He's currently a teacher at the Rosh Pina Messianic Congregation in Toronto and he's appeared on many American and Canadian radio shows. Ali Siadatan, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show, my friend. How are you? Thank you for having me, Richard. I'm fine. How are you? Well, well, very well. All right, so how closely does what's happening at this uh, Wisconsin company asking its employees voluntarily to take a chip, a microchip, under the skin, how closely does that align in your views with Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, Mark of the Beast? Well, I find it very interesting. Uh, This is a passage that people have been thinking about for uh, a few decades now, and the idea of an implantable chip being the mark is an idea that has always stuck in the stratosphere of thought because it has such a nefarious aura about it. Um, the history uh, of the companies that have been involved in creating these chips and promoting them, they're very strange companies. Um, uh, there's, for instance, Digital Angel, just even the names, you know, was, was one of the original companies combining GPS and RFID. Um, there is the company that came out of that very chip, now, what was behind the investor behind Digital Angel was IBM, and we know that IBM is the uh, the company that computerized the Holocaust. When when you look at a Holocaust survivor and they have a number on their arm, that is the number of the IBM's computer processing That's machine. That's right. That's right. So the machinery of the Holocaust, you know, was uh, IBM was hired to 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 organize it. They fund Digital Angel that goes into GPS on RFID, and then it takes on kind of a commercial face called Verichip. And get this, the world's number one manufacturer of RFID chips is Alien Technology Corporation. Yes, indeed. And you think, well, why is that important? Well, because... Um, um, researchers like myself who've looked deeply into this very strange phenomenon of alien abductions, what we've discovered is that some people actually come back with chips inside of them. And Dr. Lear, who's now passed away, was a surgeon who took some of these chips out, and the technology that was that's in them is very advanced. And, and there is yet another another dark 
connection, the companies, this, this connection with alien abductions and the fact that there's chips involved in that. Um, so there is enough weight there uh, for one to say, well, you know, this, this is an interesting thought. We should hang on to it. Maybe there is something here. And now we see the culture, like you mentioned, moving in that direction for all kinds of reasons, ease, commerce, security. You know, your child's going to get stolen. Uh, you're, you're the president of an important company. It's good to have this just in case you get kidnapped for ransom. Healthcare, it measures your blood pressure and, and all kinds of, you know, we know how. That's right. The American Medical Association has approved use of a subdermal um, implantable uh, chip containing your medical records and and again the sales job on this is so let's say you get wheeled into an emergency into emergency you're unconscious they can't locate next of kin all of your they don't know are you are you allergic to any medication everything plops up on the i mean it it makes sense from a certain standpoint well, if you've I mean, got an alzheimer a family member with alzheimer's and you you're afraid they're going to wander and get lost and get hurt you you get chip them just the way we do with pets well, well and, and you know, it's not an isolated thing. I've been looking into the research of futurists, people who look into the rate, latest research into the companies, it kind of looked at, tell us what's coming down the pipeline moving forward. And what they're all saying is that actually, whether we understand it's moving that direction or not, the data they're looking at says that we are embracing cybernetics. But the next thing is that, you know, your cell phone that's basically a part of your body right now is going to actually become eventually really a part of your body and that we are as a society uh, being conditioned to move towards cybernetics. I know it's a little bit strange. We don't see it because we don't have the data. But, you know, these are the people who told Polaroid that the next thing was digital uh, cameras and Polaroid fired them thinking that was crazy. And look where we are now. So, so that's what the futurists are saying. We're going towards embracing cybernetics. This could become very well a reality, but a gradual, subtle invasion of the culture. And then the Mark the Beast you mentioned, well, what makes there's – a, there's a lot of information in that passage. And one of the things that – Yeah, give us the – for those not familiar with, with chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. Uh, I don't know if – I don't want to put you on the spot if you have that at the ready, or you probably I have do, it committed to memory it. knowing you. <laughs> it so happens that it's right here. Um, it talks about – a, a, a very strong world leader. Uh, it appears that this is really the very end of, the, of history before the time of the Messiah, the son of David, you, you know, bringing peace to the world and, and establishing his throne in Jerusalem. It seems that, that the prophecies talk about a final uh, imperial system that has in it all the previous empires and has these leaders, which are also called beasts, one that comes out of the sea, one that comes out of the earth, and the one that comes out of the earth, um, he displays all kinds of miraculous powers. It says that he, he deceives those that dwell on the earth by the means of miracles, which he has power to do in the sight of the beasts. Um, and, and so he makes fire come from the sky. Uh, and, and again, for me, that connects him in some ways perhaps to the UFO reality, that that's where the fire comes from. It reminds me of the priests of Baal. The fire didn't come then, but it may come now. It reminds me of, um, um, you know, all kinds of miracles in the Bible. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire from the sky. So this guy has that kind of a power. And then suddenly, the passage reveals this very specific information to us. It says that he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, which is everybody, to receive a mark in their right hand, or in their foreheads, so it's again very specific, and and that's where the chips are being implanted. Well, the right, the hand is one of the places where this company that you mentioned at the beginning of the show is saying, well, this is where the chip's going to be implanted. So, you know, if you wave your hand, and and then it tells us that no man might buy or sell. So suddenly the mind is led to the commercial system, and now we see how much money has become a digital reality, and even with Bitcoin, and we're just going deeper and deeper right. into the digital reality, uh, that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So some people might say, you know what, I don't want the, the mark, I don't want the chip, give it to me in a card. Uh, you know, you'd still be you'd still be car a, a card a carrier, a card holder of, the, of this club of the club of the beast. 
Um, and then it ge- leaves us with this very enigmatic verse. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score and six, or six six six. Um, and, and there's a lot of you know controversy about the Greek and how it may have been translated. But but this is what we ha- we have to go with that there is a number. Some people point to gematria, which is um, in Hebrew. Um, as well as in Greek, the letters were associated with numbers, so you could actually figure out someone's name right. through a series of the numbers. The Pythagorean screed. So it may, may, some say it, was, it adds up to Saddam Hussein. It spells out various, you know, former world leaders and so forth. But but this, so this microchip, not likely that this is the mark of the beast. But it's what it's doing is it's sort of. Laying the ground. It's, it's, yes, it's acclimatizing us. Like the, the proverbial frog who's uh, slowly boiled, you place him in a, in a pot of cold <laughs> water and you turn up the heat. So we're being acclimatized to it. Yeah, a, a good example for me is the debt culture. It's like, you know, uh, what, what was that company before Visa? It was Cash X or something, where everyone was mailed a card suddenly and, and they had credit. Next thing you know, it was not long ago. Next thing you know, we all have credit cards. Next thing you know, you can't rent a movie without it. You can't rent a car. You can't rent a hotel room. And you, you need it. And next thing you know, we're all accustomed to this slavery of debt, like King Solomon wrote that the borrower was a slave to the lender. And so suddenly we find ourselves in, in, as slaves to, to this debt culture, and yet it came over us so subtly. You know, no one explained it to us. We just found ourselves in it. And we now have to work for the man. So it's, I think it's the same kind of a thing where there's all kinds of great reasons. Very quickly, uh, uh, time is tight here, but how do you, uh, how does one avoid taking it? You just, you have to suffer the consequences, I yeah, suppose, exactly. as a Christian. You have to stick with the consequences. What makes the mark the beast the mark the beast is that it's implemented by the beast. So this technology lays the groundwork, perhaps, and then we have a superior technology, one that controls the nervous system, and there's a lot of research into that, that these chips okay. can tap into your nervous system. Ali, we got to cut it there. Ali Siadatan, thinkagainproductions.com. Always a pleasure, Ali. It was a pleasure. Have a beautiful evening. All right. Open lines on the other side. The telephone awaits.